I appreciate the song selection this morning. Thank you. Uh, Psalm 139. There are so many beautiful hymns based on Psalm 139 and the truths of that. But thank you, whoever selected that. I think I actually I saw an email fly. Was that Brooke? Yeah. yeah, thank you. I appreciate that. Thank you. So, before we get started this morning, let me go to a word of prayer. I just need to clear some space here. Let's pray. Lord God, thank you so much for uh, this day that you have made. Thank you for the opportunity to come before your throne to worship you in song. Lord, I just it's so cool to see the camaraderie that you have built among these young people in here under the leadership of David. And, and it's just amazing how you orchestrate all things. Thank you, Lord, for uh, the chance to open Psalm 139 again and to, to finish this. And um, I pray, Lord, that it is, is impactful to the people hearing today that it was to me in preparation for it. And I uh, pray that your truths would um, not just be heard, Lord, but acted upon, applied um, considered and um, in action taken, Lord. We love you. We praise you. We thank you in your holy name, in Christ's name. Amen. <clears throat> so, well, guys, thanks so much for letting me come back a second time. And I know how much David loves to preach. And so this is no small thing for me to have the opportunity to steal a, uh, a Sunday from him. Um, but obviously last week, was a sprint to the finish, and we glossed over a lot of really important things. And so um, I really wanted to have a chance to come back and slow down and walk back through some of those important concepts, because really where we were going to to head towards is based on all of these truths that hopefully uh, we laid a good foundation for, there are some, some real implications to consider. Uh, if you are a believer, there are, there are implications to the truths of Psalm 139. And if you're an unbeliever, uh, then even more so, because all the truths of Psalm 139, uh, as we said before, will either drive you to a fear, uh, which is very healthy and helpful to you because there is still hope for you because you are considering yourself before the Lord, or it will drive you towards a hatred of those truths, in which case that is a terrifying space for you to be. Um, and so I want to take a second just to walk uh, through those realities. But in order to do that, let's get a bit of a running start, just so, just in case you guys forgot what we covered last week. I know none of you would. Your notes are impeccable. I know that you spent all last week reviewing them, and, and really your quiet time was likely driven by the notes that you took from last week. But just in case... You have not seen or considered the truths of Psalm 139 for a full seven days. We'll get a, we'll get a running start at uh, some of the truths that we covered last week. So in order to do that, the best thing to do is to open up our Bibles and, and really read through Psalm 139 in its entirety. So we're going to go through it. I'm in the LSB. So if you would, open your Bibles and let's, let's go through this together. O Yahweh, you have searched me and known me. You know when I sit down and when I rise up. You understand my thought from afar. You scrutinize my path and my lying down and are intimately acquainted with all my ways. Even before there is a word on my tongue, behold, O Yahweh, you know it all. You have enclosed me behind and before, and you have put your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It's too high. I cannot attain to it. Where can I go from your spirit or where can I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, behold, you are there. If I lift up the wings of the dawn, if I dwell in the remotest parts of the sea, even there your hand will lead me. 
and your right hand will lay hold of me. If I say, surely the darkness will bruise me and the light around me will be night, even the darkness is not too dark for you. And the night is as bright as the day. Darkness and light are alike to you. For you formed my inward parts. You wove me in my mother's womb. I will give thanks to you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works, and my soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in secret and intricately woven in the depths of the earth. Your eyes have seen my unshaped substance, and in your book all of them were written, the days that were formed for me, when as yet there were not one of them. How precious are your thoughts to me, O God! How vast is the sum of them! If I should count them, they would outnumber the sand. When I awake, I am still with you. Oh, that you would slay the wicked, O God! O men of bloodshed, depart from me, for they speak against you wickedly, and your enemies take your name in vain. Do I not hate those who hate you, O Yahweh? And do I not revile those who rise up against you? I hate them with the utmost hatred. They have become my enemies. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my anxious thoughts. And see if there be any hurtful way in me. And lead me in the everlasting way. This is Psalm 139. We talked about uh, Psalm 139. There's this beautiful poetic language in there that it's not this stale, didactic uh, preaching at you of these realities of God's omniscience and His omnipresence and His sovereignty. But He uses this gorgeous imagery and in that song that we just sung captured it so well, right? Um, this beautiful phrases in there of, of these truths. But there's really important questions that are posed by this psalm. And we talked about that a little bit last week. Uh, who am I? Like, who am I really? What purpose do I have on this life? Why did God make me the way that I am? I, I'm a little shorter than I wish I was. I'm a little taller than I, than I thought I should be. Uh, I can't do this as well as somebody else. You know, people don't laugh at the jokes that I say. Uh, I get nervous. My hands sweat sometimes. Uh, whatever. However you're made, you question that often. And hopefully Psalm 139 will cause you to to recognize that nothing is by accident, that you're formed exactly the way God intended for you. Um, Where did we come from? These are important questions that the world asks, that you probably asked yourself. What are we? Right? Where are we going? When I die, where am I going? Uh, Where am I going 10 years from now? Right? Like, all these things are, are really incredibly important. And then there's obviously great truths about God in here. Omniscience is in here. Omnipresence, omnipotence, sovereignty. All those are, are part of this psalm. And we said we were going to break this down into, into four easy parts with some applications. So uh, we talked about God knows you. We spent a lot of time on this reality of God's in-depth, intimate knowledge of you. Um, that you cannot escape from God. Uh, even if you wanted to, you can't. And then God gave you your very life. Um, and then he, yeah, God demands your loyalty and you owe it to Him. And then we said that there were implications for you as a believer or an unbeliever uh, in the midst of that. And so uh, this whole idea of God knowing you uh, is probably, for me, when I was impacted by this psalm, this idea of God's intimate knowledge was the most impactful. Uh, it, it sets the foundation for everything else that, that David talks about in the psalm because um, it speaks to this great God 
who, as we talked about last time, there's 8 billion people on the earth, uh, 100 billion throughout all of history. We didn't even talk about the planets, uh, everything that's, that's swimming around in the sea. We didn't talk about all the, the plants that are, are established so that animals can eat them so that we have things to eat. We didn't talk about the moon and the stars. We didn't talk about galaxies. We didn't talk about the millions of galaxies that we're discovering now. And all of that is superintended by the Lord all at once. It is held together by Christ's hands. That if he were to let go, if that were possible, everything would just come apart. When we would cease existence. All of that is true. And that's incredible. And we could think about that for the rest of our lives and not even scratch the surface of God's immense omnipotence in all of that. But that same God knows you so well. He knows everything that the beginning of Psalm 139 talks about. He knows when you go, where you go. He knows the words that you're going to speak. He knows the intentions behind your words. He knows when you are just putting a platitude out there and saying the right thing, but inwardly in your heart you're rebelling. He knows when you um, don't say a word. You even catch yourself and don't actually act on it, but He knows the motivation behind your heart, the, the jealousy that might be there, the envy that might be there, um, the hatred that might be stewing in your heart. All of those things that are really able to be kept secret from other people are known by the Lord. And David really establishes that that's a mercy, and, he, and that causes him to praise Him, and it causes him to have great comfort. And for the believer, that should cause us to have great comfort. It should also be the thing that says, I want to go repent to the Lord as fast as possible when I discover, either through the preached word or through the reading of God's word or through a song that expresses God's truth or a faithful brother or sister that comes alongside of you and challenges you on something, that that causes you immediately to repent so that you can enjoy the blessings and the, and the fellowship with the Lord that's established by that repentance. Because God knows it already anyway. Who are you hiding from? Who are you kidding? Psalm 139 says you're not kidding and fooling anybody because the only one that really matters is God. And so we talked about this intimacy, this intimacy that God knows you by. And, and, and I hope uh, that that is something that is impactful for you. For me, it is, it is the very lifeblood of this psalm is those first several uh, verses. And we spent a lot of time on that last week, and so we won't go into great detail on that, but hopefully that's reminding you a little bit of some of those truths we covered last week. Um, we also had this thought in here about what is the difference between an unbeliever and a believer in this content, uh, this concept of, of this intimate knowledge of God and that God has a view. And we, we took a little side track and we said that the world would seek to create a God who doesn't know you like this. Right? The most comfortable thing that we can have is a God that, you know, fits my definition, that, that works with my plans, right? Um, I'm not particularly fond of a God who knows the pride that I have, right? And so, therefore, the God that I choose to worship doesn't actually know the pride that I have, and that's very comfortable for me. And so that's the God that I'll fashion in my own thought. And I might even use God's Word to establish a, a, proof, a proof text for that type of God. Or I might decide just to go ahead and worship, you know, a dandelion or a star constellation because I can fashion that into whatever I want. And that's what humanity has been doing ever since the fall. And, and the Old Testament speaks, you know, on and on and on about 
false gods, about idolatry. It's part of the Ten Commandments that God hates. You would put any other god before Him. And so the creation, or humanity rather, has been putting these substitute, you know, false gods in place of the true God who knows you so well. So the unbeliever seeks ultimate answers from substitute false gods or other forms of religion. And then we talked a little bit about the fact that today, what was the false religion of today that's so pervasive that really was was exposed during COVID? Do you guys remember what I, what I proposed to you was a false religion of the day? Science, right? Absolutely. Not the science, and, and Luke and I were having a, a cool conversation last night about his physiology class, and, and the truths about how we're made just cause you to worship God. Just incredible, right? And how absurd evolution really is when you think about the checks and balances that exist within the system. Like, you know, it's incredible. However, um, Science really is the false religion of the day today. It's not that science where we're, we're discovering empirically the truths of God's creation and then ascribing those to the Lord. We're just taking whatever we want to believe and we're putting it in the name of science today. And that is a false religion. Um, Psalm 135, we talked about uh, these ideas. Now, obviously, it doesn't say in Psalm 135, nor does it say in Isaiah 44 that we talked about last week that he doesn't mention science in there, right? He doesn't name the types of idols that maybe we put in place today, but the concepts are the same. He says, the idols of the nations are silver and gold, the work of human hands. They have mouths that do not speak. They have ears, but do not hear, nor is there any breath in their mouth. Those who make them become like them, and so all do trust in them. Isaiah 44, 9 uh, through 20, that says the iron, ironsmith forms iron over coals. Carpenters make an idol out of the very wood he uses for f- uh, fuel and for building homes. And then he goes on to can say, no one considers, nor is there knowledge or discernment to say half of it I burn in the fire. I also baked bread on its coals. I roasted meat and have eaten. And shall I make the rest of it an abomination or a false god? Shall I fall down before a block of wood? He feeds on ashes. A deluded heart has led him astray, and he cannot deliver himself or say, Is there not a lie in my right hand? That is what the unbelievers do. And the believer, the discerning believer, should see the folly of that. But I would challenge you to say, even if you are a believer today, what lie are you telling yourself about God that justifies the sin that you hold on to? That is an important question. It's one of those write it down questions, right? What lie are you telling yourself about God that allows you to justify the sin that you want to hold on to? Because if you are doing that, you are acting like the unbeliever who worships a false God. And then we said that the true and living God and the false God has this vast chasm of difference. The, the God who knows you so intimately um, cannot be substituted by, by any fake God. It's an absurdity, really. Um, and then we talked a lot about this idea, you know, what I, uh, you know when I sit down, when I rise up, you understand my thoughts from afar. And, and we kind of went through some implications of this. He, you know that, that God knows what you did last night. 
God knows what was in your heart this morning. God knows what you did on that one horrible night five years ago or whatever the situation is. You're not hiding it from God. If you, even if you haven't confessed it to your parents or to, your, to, to the Lord in your own heart or to anybody else, God knows it. And that's either a source of worship for you because you're forgiven even, even with that after you've repented, or it is one of the things that God's going to use to judge you on the great day of judgment. It'll just be one of the myriad of examples he'll have to indict you. Um, so this knowledge of you is, is exhaustive. And ultimately, you can fool everybody. And we talked a little bit about this. And for me, it was a scary thought. Hopefully, it's scary for you. You can fool everybody in this room. You can fool your parents. You can even fool your future spouse. But you cannot fool the Lord. You cannot hide these truths about yourself from the Lord because of all the truths of verses 1 through 6. He knows you so intimately. <clears throat> so that was the, uh, the truth of God's knowledge of you. And then we said you can't escape from God. You cannot escape from God. You can't get away from Him. And, and we made a case that I read a couple of commentaries and um, a couple of different uh, versions of... Uh, or. Uh, you know, interpretations of this text. And, and I kind of held to the fact that, you know, he's not trying to escape. David's not, he doesn't want to escape it. You know, all the truths of this Psalm point him towards an intimate running towards God, not an escape from him. He's just praising God because he knows he can't escape. It's a protection for him. And we kind of said, it's like, you know, a dad holding the child's hand and saying, I know you, I've got you, I'm protecting you. My knowledge of you gives me authority to protect you in the best way possible. And so David's not seeking to flee from the Lord, um, although humanity has attempted that, right? We had many examples in the Bible. If you guys remember Adam and Eve, uh, we remember Jonah. You know, people do seek, and even I or you have at times sought to hide from the Lord or flee from Him. That is human nature to an extent. It's a part of our sinful nature. But you, hopefully Psalm 139 points you to the absurdity of that. It's It's... It's as, it's as ridiculous as when you read Jonah and you say, dude, you know where it's going. You're going to get tossed from the ship and you're going to be in the belly of a great fish. And he's going to bring you back to do what he has purposed for you. It's the same in your life. Likely, you will not find yourself in the belly of a fish. But please take it from an old man. The Lord will break you and mold you and put you on the path that he has established for you. Either... It's going to be an easy, joyful, holding his hand while you go, or he will break you. And it'll be a lot more like that spanking you got when you were little, and, and you still end up doing what Dad said, right? It just hurt getting there. The Lord will bring you um, into his purposes. And so <clears throat> David is not seeking to hide from God. He's, he's um, comforted by this. This fact that he cannot escape from him. And there was a couple, one thing I just want to highlight in this this presence of God that David talks about, he said that not only is he east to the west, if I rise on the wings of the morning, this beautiful language of the east or um, where the sun sets in the west of the sea, um, but he also uh, abides both in heaven, which we often are very comfortable with, right? We think of God being in heaven. Um, But he also says that he is in Sheol, which is the place of the dead. And it reminds us that even in death, you cannot escape from God. And ultimately, that is the thing that we have to all consider. 
when you're on the precipice of life, as you guys are at your age, um, it seems as though, you know, uh, 80, 90 years, 100 years, if you're really ambitious, right, you think you're going to live forever, um, that the death is a long way away. But the reality is, is that all of humanity will face death. Um, the unbeliever, many, and unfortunately many young people today are deciding to, to end their life on their own because they're trying to run from some reality of, of earth circumstances, life circumstances. But the, the, the terrifying thing is it's without Christ, those people are still facing God and His judgment in death, there is no escape in life or death. For the believer, that's comforting. Thank you. Thank you for hemming me in, Lord. Thank you for, for being with me in all those places. The unbeliever, that is a terrifying truth. It really is. But we can't run from God, not even in death. And then we said, look, God gave you life. God made you. Um, you formed my inward parts. You wove me in my mother's womb. Um, and we, we even talked about the fact that, that Paul addressed this at the Areopagus, right, with, uh, with, and within Acts 17, that, the, that these truths are substantiated, that God formed you. Uh, we also took a little bit of an aside and said, you know, a lot of times the, the world will take these types of poetic languages of Psalm and say, see how absurd Christianity is? They think that God knitted babies together in the womb as though they're ma- he's making a blanket in there. That's just ridiculous. And you can't trust the Bible because of these types of statements. Can we all agree that this is poetry? You guys cool with that? Right? Like, I don't th- does David think that God knit somebody together in the womb? No, he doesn't think that. He might not have understood all the ways that an embryo is formed and, and protected in mother's womb and, and how life is established. We have a lot of scientific ways to explain that now. All this is doing is it's ascribing the, um, the, the ultimate causation of life is God. Right? That's what he's saying here. And so this is really the foundation of this God that knows you so well and, and knows everywhere that you go. He's with you in all places. And he's the one that gave you your very life. And not only that, he determined your days. So not only did he give you life, he knows when your days are going to end. They're already established. So there's not really any tragedy from God's perspective it is only His purposes. From our perspective, when somebody dies at 25 or at 30 or at 10, you know, those are massive tragedies. And, and rightly so. We miss them. That affects us. And we're, we, we, um, that impacts us. And, and that's okay. But we understand that there is sovereign purpose for that length of time that we are here. And it's up to us to understand that we have a a job to do, as it were, to honor the Lord in all that we do and all that we say that we aren't here without purpose. And that kind of goes back to our initial thoughts, too, of, you know, hey, maybe I'm, I'm bigger around or I'm too skinny or I'm too tall or I'm too short or I'm good at this, I'm not good at that. And this kind of dispels that myth that this God that knows you so well has formed you perfectly, not so that you can be the best thing compared to your peers, but that so you will be sanctified in a unique way to give your life purpose and to ultimately glorify the Lord. That He is bringing about these circumstances to sharpen you, to refine you into an instrument that that He will use mightily. 
And used mightily, you know, we think of David, like there's so many great things that David did and was used so mightily. For you, used mightily might be being a mother who is faithful to school her children, share the gospel, and support her husband. And that is a mighty purpose in God's kingdom. It might be for uh, your mighty purpose might be to just go work nine hours a day, every single day of the week, come home and um, and provide a home for your family and, and discipline and disciple your children and love your wife as you love yourself and serve in the local church and, and, and truths are passed on generationally. And that might be the mighty thing that God has for you. Or you might, you know, grow up to be a, a preeminent youth pastor like David, right? And impact millions of lives because of the exponential impact that you all are going to take with you throughout your life. And actually, when I think about one of my favorite things in all the world to think about is this this idea of throwing a stone in still water and the ripple effects that, that come from that. I love to think about how one life can have so much impact in the kingdom of God just by being a believer who is faithful. And you have no idea what those ripple effects are. But you think about it. David, in the middle of little old Bakersfield, California, not a much, when you guys go out from here into school, into life, into your families, and it gets transferred, this knowledge gets transferred on and on and on and on, truly, if David remains faithful, he will likely impact tens of thousands of lives. By one man being faithful. Now you guys later will cut him down the size and I'll let him get puffed up. I'll, I'll leave that to you guys. But you all have that potential within you. It's, it's being faithful. And so God purposed your days. He determined your path. You have purpose. And this talks about that. So all that's a running start to get to really where we left off, <clears throat> which is this idea of loyalty. God demands your loyalty. And so we're going to read this section here. Uh, we talked a little bit about it last time, but we'll go in a little more depth. <clears throat> Excuse me. Um, this is verse, uh, where are we at? 19. Uh, oh, that you would slay the wicked, O God, O men of bloodshed, depart from me, for, you, for they speak against you wickedly. And your enemies take your name in vain. Do I not hate those who hate you, Yahweh? And do not revile those who rise up against you. I hate them with the utmost hatred. They have become my enemies. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my anxious thoughts. And see if there be any hurtful way in me. And lead me in the everlasting way. And so this concluding section here shows that peace is found both in the knowledge and the presence of the Lord. You can find security in the midst of your enemies, if you are loyal to God, loyal to, to Yahweh. If you're unfaithful to Him, then that the same knowledge that we talked about in the preceding 18 verses will become a source of conviction, conviction rather than comfort. It will be the indictment for you. And then we talked about the fact that um, this conviction for the unbeliever turns in two ways. Terror, which is helpful, we said, because that points you towards God and fearing Him, or hatred of God in these truths, which is condemning, which is frightening. Um, So what do loyal people look like? Well, we saw in here that verses 19 through 22, that, that loyal people distance themselves from the enemies of God. 
and um, and this idea of hating your enemies, the enemies of God, we talked about might seem a bit harsh, right? But the language of that is not the opposite of love. It is, it is rejection. So that, that language really speaks of rejecting those who reject the Lord. And, and we also kind of, we talked a little bit about this last time is, shouldn't our heart not go towards hating those who don't know God, but towards really like evangelizing them, Right. Like, we don't expect unbelievers to act like believers. And so we, we should go with them with the heart of the gospel and, and evangelize them. And that's absolutely true. That's not who they're talking about here. And the way that we know that is from verse 20, that these wicked and bloodthirsty men aren't lost souls. They are evil God-haters who do so under false pretenses. And this is our second point of loyalty is those who are loyal defend the truth. But um, it says here that the enemies, your enemies take your name in vain. They speak against you wickedly. So who are these people? These are not your, your everyday unbelievers who are searching for answers. These are those who would utilize Christ, the Bible, or some other idea of religion and they are making false claims about him. They, these are false teachers. Okay, these are false worshipers. Um, <clears throat> they are deceivers. They take the name of Yahweh in vain. This is to, to give false testimony or swear falsely. Their religious expressions are hollow and vain. They use them to cover their malicious attacks on David, and they'll do the same to you. So these are the people we are to reject. This is the Joel Olstein, right, of, of Christianity. We reject that. We don't have Joel Olstein over for dinner, right? We don't have the guys from um, Valley Bible over for dinner. If we're going to talk to them, we're going to talk to them about truth. We have no fellowship with those who would utilize Christianity under false pretenses. Does that make sense? And so we are to reject them, not hate them emotionally. We reject those who reject the true Christ, right? So thirdly, those who are loyal reject those who reject Christ. Do I not hate those who hate you, O Yahweh? Do not revile those who rise up against you. I hate them with the utmost hatred. They have become my enemies. And so in this piece, we really see that David knew what the apostles really affirmed. To be loyal to the Lord, you cannot have fellowship or even close relationship with enemies of the Lord. And if you'll turn to 2 Corinthians, you'll see how the New Testament treats this. 2 Corinthians 6. 2 Corinthians 6, verse 14 through 17 says, Do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers. For what partnership have righteousness and lawlessness? Or what fellowship has light with darkness? Or what harmony has Christ with Belial? Or what has a believer in common with an unbeliever? Or what agreement has a sanctuary of God with idols? For we are a sanctuary of the living God. That is clear. That is what David is saying here. Light and dark don't mix. You cannot be yoked to in a, in a relationship that is yoked to unbelievers. This is true. This, the context of this is most often ascribed to marriage. And that's certainly true. But this is, this is you can't do ministry together. 
You can't be in partnership in the, in the work of the gospel for somebody who has a false gospel. That seems true, but that's harder to discern than you might think sometimes in life. You don't go into a business relationship. Can you do business with an unbeliever? Yes, you can. Do you want to go establish a partnership that is binding your, your, um, your um, you know, not facade, your, um, wow, that just fell right out of my head. You know, that thing. Right? You no, you got no idea what I'm talking about. But you don't your um character is not bound up with theirs. Still not the word I wanted, but it'll work. Right? So you're not unequally yoked. Uh and verse twenty-two goes into an even stronger assertion. He says, I hate them with complete hatred, a complete total rejection of these people. This is a loyal person to Christ. This is harder than it might seem. Like uh, Luke's down at Masters. He's going to come into contact with people who, under false pretenses, have said they're believers and say that they like that they believe the same things that they do. And it's going to become reality at some point that a couple of these folks are going to be apostate haters of God under false pretenses. That's going to be a hard thing to confront. You're going to run into this stuff in life, and it is not as easy as it sounds. But if you are loyal to God based on everything in the beginning part of the psalm, that's what it looks like. You're going to reject them. And you're going to do that through a series, right? You're going to first share the truth. They're going to reject that truth. You're, going to, you're not going to just cut it all off. But there's, when it becomes apparent that they are completely opposed to what you believe, the biblical truths, you reject that. And you reject them, which is hard when there's, when there's emotion. And we're going to see in Hebrews 10, everybody turn to this, it's a long section. Hebrews 10, 26. <clears throat> and this really kind of puts a nail in the coffin on this idea. Um, for those who have heard the truth and reject Christ, uh, this is a scary warning for some of you people in here, just so you know, and for people who will be in the main sanctuary later. You are hearing gospel truth today, and Lord willing, uh, and you have heard gospel truth, you'll continue to hear gospel truth. And if you go on rejecting that, there will be a time that there is now no longer a sacrifice for you. So while that's a great privilege in the fact that you're sitting in this chair today, there's hope for you because you're hearing the gospel. If you continue rejecting it, there will be a time where the Lord says that's enough. It'll harden your heart. And so that's why Pastor Steve so often says, if today you hear his voice, do not harden your heart. But let's look at uh, Hebrews 10, 26. For if we go on sinning willfully after receiving the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins, but a terrifying expectation of judgment and the fury of a fire which will consume the adversaries. Anyone who has set aside the law of Moses dies without mercy by the mouth of two or three witnesses. How much worse punishment do you think he will deserve who has trampled underfoot the Son of God and has regarded as defiled the blood of the covenant by which he is sanctified and has insulted the spirit of grace? For we will know him who said, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, and again the Lord will judge his people. It is a terrifying thing to fall into the hands of the living God. So the Bible is very clear 
on these stark contrasts of the of those who are loyal to Yahweh and those who are not. And he will sift that and he will divide that on the day of judgment. And so this causes David to say, Search me, O God, know my heart, try my anxious thoughts, see if there be any hurtful way in me and lead me in the everlasting way. Um, he d- wants to make sure that his loyalty is known and that anything that comes up that is a disloyal thought, that is, which is ultimately sin, is found out, exposed, and confessed. And if you're a believer, that's what you do. And then John 1, 1 John, uh, says that, that those who are faithful to repent, He is faithful to forgive. And that's a beautiful thing. The blood of Christ is already atoned for that sin. And you can have fellowship again with the Lord immediately after you sin because you've repented of that. And you've confessed that. And that fellowship's reestablished. And that's what David wants. He doesn't want to have anything hidden. He's saying, Lord, search me out and reveal it to me so I know. That should be your prayer. That should be your heart. And so, um, the implications for the believer... Still a little tight on time. Alright, the implications for the believer really is where we left off. Because God knows you so intimately, because God is with you at all times, and at no time are you out of the presence of God, because God gave you your very life, and because God gave purpose to your life... Ultimately, for the believer, that is an eternity in heaven to worship Him for all the days and give Him fellowship and eternity in heaven like that. Just on that, if we just kind of camp on what our future reality is based on the atonement of Christ, then for you it's, it's obedience and love for God and love for others. Like that is the law of Christ, is it not? Where you love others more than you love yourself. And, and you go on and you demonstrate that loyalty to God and you pray continually for evaluation and for guidance. You submit to His leadership. You hate what God hates. You love what God loves. How do you know that? You sit under good teaching. You read the Bible for yourself and you discern what God hates and then you also hate that. You reject what God rejects, right? you have to evaluate everything through the filter of God's Word. Don't be easily taken in or deceived by those professing to have a special knowledge or knowledge that supersedes Scripture. That is rampant today. Here's a proof text. Here's a little piece of Bible to make everybody feel comfortable and to establish an authority basis for which I'm going to say something that completely contradicts it. Right? Listen and be discerning for what people are actually saying because the Bible is a mighty weapon and a tool of Satan as well. And we have to remember that. Don't be fooled by those who would say the name of Jesus or attribute something to God, but at the same time do or say something that contradicts what Christ would teach. So you're to be loyal. This idea of loyalty, that is what the believer would do. Okay, for the unbelievers. Implications for the unbeliever. If you're an unbeliever, then the truths of Psalm 139 might seem terrifying. We've talked about that. And, but can I say with you, to you with, a, with all sincerity of, of my heart, with all at, true love for you, that Psalm 139 should terrify you. It should, it should rock you, knowing that this God knows you and you don't, you have not submitted to him. 
all that you have learned here, that God knows you, that there's nothing hidden from His sight, that He knows all of your sinful deeds, all of your sinful thoughts, every lie you've ever told, every hateful thing you've said to someone, even if it was just in your mind, every exaggeration, every disobedience, He knows it all. These are the acts and intentions of your heart that will be submitted as evidence at the final judgment, ultimately your final judgment, these things, this intimate knowledge of God will be submitted as evidence like in a courtroom for you. And you will be found guilty. You also learn that you can't escape from Him. While the believer is comforted by God's presence, the unbeliever would seek to escape the reality of God, but it's futile. Even in the darkness, He's there. From the east to the west, He is there. And we said even in death, He is there. You can't run from Him. We learned that He gave you his very, your very life. He is your Creator. If nothing else, you owe Him your loyalty because He made you. And how quickly does the world trash that truth? Why do you think Satan always attacks the creation? Because it it erodes the foundation of everything else in the Bible. God is your creator. And you owe him your loyalty. We have learned that that finally that because of all these things, you owe him your loyalty. Not only that, but God demands your loyalty. And it's actually worse than this, you guys. It's actually far worse than this. Romans 3.23 say, For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. We have all sinned. There is no one who is innocent. Romans 3.10-18 through 18 says, As it is written, there is none righteous, not even one. There is none who understands. There is none who seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they have become worthless. There is none who does good, not even one. Their throat is an open tomb. Their, their tongues they keep deceiving. The poison of asps is under their lips whose mouth is full of cursing and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. Destruction and misery are in their paths, and their path of peace they have not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. And we see that in society. It's rampant. It's rampant right now. But this is talking about you. You. You possess all that. And when God knows you so well, even if you haven't acted on those things, the intention of your heart condemns you. And God knows it based on verses 1 through 6. Romans 6.23 teaches us about the consequences of sin. He says, For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. The punishment that we have earned for our sins is death. Not just physical death, but eternal death. So this is a bad situation. It's actually bigger than that. At the end of the day, there's only one problem that you have. It is not... School, it is not your parents. It is not money or lack thereof. It is not we're going to have one kid or ten kids or no kids. It's none of these big things that in your mind are starting to kind of come into fruition for you. None of that matters. None of it. The only thing that matters is that one day you're standing before an all-seeing God. We will all die. And either your blood will be the guilt of your sin will be already placed on Christ or you will pay for the guilt of all that intimate knowledge that God has of you. And this probably seems hopeless, but it's not. And this brings me to my two favorite words in all of the Bible. You guys who know me know this already. My two favorite words in all the Bible are, but God. But God. 
With man, it is impossible. With God, all things are possible. But God. Romans 5, 8 declares, But God demonstrates His own love towards us, in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Jesus Christ died for us. Jesus' death paid the penalty of our sins. His resurrection proves that God accepted, us, accepted that death for the payment of our sins. Romans 10.9 says that if you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. Because of Jesus' death on our behalf, we have, all we have to do is believe in Him. Trust in His death is the payment for our sins, in effect, shifting our allegiance not from self to Him, our loyalty to Him, and we will be saved. Then Romans 10.13 says again, for everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Finally, what is the result of this salvation that God offers you? Romans 5.1 has this wonderful message. Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Romans 8.1 says, Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Because of Jesus' death on our behalf, we will never be condemned for our sins. And then finally, we have this precious promise from God. Romans 8.38-39 For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither the height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Today, if you hear His voice, do not harden your heart. Come to Christ in repentance and faith, and you too can say with David, such knowledge is too wonderful for me. How precious are your thoughts to me, O God. Lead me in the everlasting way. Let's pray. Lord God, thank you for the amazing truths of Psalm 139. Thank you for inspiring this text that gives us so much insight into who you are and the relationship that we have with you. I pray, Lord, that you would not give a moment of peace to anybody in here who does not know you as Lord and Savior that they would be terrified until they bend the knee. Lord, I pray that, that um, those of us who are believers, Lord, Lord, that we consider these truths and that that causes a greater, greater worship of you. The one that is not on false pretenses, Lord, that we wouldn't try to just fake our way through things, Lord, but that we understand that this intimate knowledge and this life that you've given us, Lord, has purpose, it has meaning, and Lord, that it is foolish to try and hide our heart from you. So let us be bare at all in confession, in prayer, in communion with you. Lord, we pray for this time coming up where we go into the main service, Lord. I pray that these truths would cause us, our songs that we sing to you, be that much more meaningful, that the truths that Pastor Steve preaches impact us that much greater because of what we understand about you through this psalm. We love you and praise you in Christ's name. Amen.